Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. It says this, Touch not my anointed and do my prophet no harm. Take your hand and you point it right here. You're pointing at the anointed. There is nothing more precious to God than his body. You make up the body. You make up the bride of Christ. You are the anointed. And as part of that body and as the bride of Christ, there is nothing more near and dear to God Almighty than to protect you, to love you, and to keep you. And so just know this morning that God loves you. Oh, God loves you. God loves you. Oh, Jesus. First Samuel chapter 20. Verse 24. So David hid himself in a field. And when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat. The king sat on his seat as at other times. Uh, on the seat by the wall. So picture it now. The king is sitting in his seat. Jonathan sat opposite. Abner sat on Saul's side. But David's place was empty. But David's place was empty. If you'll set your Bibles down for just one moment. And I'm going to ask you this morning not to bow your head. Please don't bow your head. I'm going to ask you to lift your hands, lift your voice, and lift your head to God Almighty, our Savior, our Lord, our Redeemer, our Lover, our King. Oh, Jesus, in this moment, in this place, in this atmosphere of faith, Jesus, speak your word, God. Oh, God, I'm asking that you would touch my tongue and my heart this morning. Lord, don't let me say anything to the left or to the right of what you would have, Lord, as you want to minister to your body, to touch your people. Lord, give us an ear to hear, Jesus. Give us a spiritual ear to hear. Lord, open up our eyes and give us an eye to see, Lord, the spiritual depths of the principle of your word, principles of faith, Jesus. Lord, give us a heart to receive. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, take your liberty in this place, Jesus. Speak your words of life, your words of abundant grace, and your words of abundant mercy. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. You may be seated. You may be seated. Your table. Your table. What's at your table? What does your table look like? I, I, I got to set this up with a little bit more scripture. And so if you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 12, we need to lay down a spiritual principle. 
And I love that sound. I may just throw in some scriptures, some more, so I can hear that sound. That is a beautiful sound. Oh, thank you, Jesus. There's depth to that sound. So Matthew chapter 12 and verse 22. Then a demon-oppressed man... I'll pause for a second. Ah. Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. Oh, God, help me to stay focused today. God knows what you need. God knows what you need this morning. God wants to meet your need this morning. God will meet your need this morning. But the demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him. All right, so this is all in the same chapter. Jump into verse 43. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest but finds none. So we know that there's oppression. We know there's possession. And I know sometimes that makes us feel a little uncomfortable, but... If it happened all the time during the times of Jesus Christ for the three and a half years he's ministered, and if it was still happening in the book of Acts, it still happens today. This is a spiritual thing. We are in a house of place, a faith of place, an atmosphere of faith. I feel like I botched that. We're in a place of faith. And if it started in faith, it will continue in faith, and it will finish in faith. This is all about faith. So in one mind, in one accord, we're all going to believe the word of God for what it says. We're going to draw from it the spiritual principles that it's showing us. So when a spirit leaves a man cast out, it wanders around looking for a home. If we jump ahead to verse 45, then it goes. It goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. This is after it's wandered around in dry places looking for a place to reside. It finds none. It comes back. And what does it find? It finds its former place, its former home. It finds the man swept, cleaned, but unoccupied. It's empty. It's empty. And so the result, the point here, is when God, huh, when we clean something out, there's an emptiness that is left. Oh, Jesus. So when God reaches into our hearts, when we come to him or as we're growing in him and he's rooting things out, pulling things out, it is crucial that we would fill it with the things of God, the word of God, the principles of God, the spirit of God. And so we see that right here. What didn't happen, the man was not filled and so, in verse 45, then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. This is not your portion and this is not mine. This is in the word of God so that we can see it 
and it can be revealed to us and we can take the principles and apply it to our lives. Take the word of God and overlay it on top of our lives and we see what we look like and we see what we're supposed to look like through the word and how God sees us. How God sees us. He's already authored it. He already sees the beginning from the end. God knows. Oh, God knows. God knows. God is in this and God knows. Amen. So we must guard being empty without being filled. Can I get an amen? amen. All right. So with that, your table. Turn with me quickly to Galatians chapter 5. Not going to preach here. In Jesus' name, we're just going to look at it. We're talking about things that God empties out. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. This is written to the church, and so it's applicable for us. God has set you free. He that the Son has set free is free indeed. But there's going to be a need to stand and to stand firm in your freedom. Because there's an adversary that's looking for a foothold. That's just looking for a little bit of something to work with. And if he can weasel his way in there and he can start whispering lies and deceit and start to distract you. No. We will stand firm on the word of God. You are free and you've been set free indeed. Walk in that freedom. There's going to be times and moments and places when it doesn't look free. It doesn't feel free. Ah, but the way maker sees it differently. He's already made your freedom. He's already supplied for your need. And that's the moment of faith when you walk in faith, even if you don't feel it, I'm free. I will walk in freedom. I will stand in freedom. I will not bow back down. I will not go back. Oh, it's not an option. Oh, Jesus. I said I was, wouldn't preach here, so that wasn't preaching. Verse 16 but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Remember, the man is emptied out of something. Every single person, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And once again, I'll remind you, I'm honored that God would allow me the opportunity to speak to his people. And I realize you're the anointed, and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you with a word from the Lord this morning. But honestly, if we reveal our hearts, no matter what, whether we've been serving God for one day, whether we're, we start serving him at the altar call, 30 days or 30 years, God is still revealing things in our hearts. God is still drawing some things out. It's a continual sanctification process. Amen. And so as those things are drawn out, we're going to have to continue to put the right things back in. I cannot stress this enough because we cannot go where we're going this morning without understanding we've got to be filled with something. And so Galatians 5 speaks of this. I walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. This is a battle that's going on in all of our minds. And the decision is made in our hearts. All of us. 
And that's all right. Let God continue to pull and draw some things out and let God put some things back in. Amen. What do the things look like? Always a good question. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, and things like these. A great many other things. This is just a glimpse of what they look like. We know what they look like. Amen? But what is filled back in looks totally different. Verse 22, what God puts back in, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now, I'm just laying a pattern. I'm laying a principle. I'm laying a foundation. We have to get this and understand before we can go and see what God has for us this morning. There is a battle right here. And there's a battle between the natural man and the spiritual man. And yes, there's spirits involved and all that, but quite honestly... Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So the real war and battle is not between good and evil. It's the decision you're going to make every moment and every day. No matter what it looks like. Whether we're on a high high or we're on a really low low. We need to remind ourselves we've been set free and we will stand firm therefore. Amen. And verse 6, verse 6, brothers, chapter 6, verse 1, Brother, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, so don't raise your hand and don't worry about being ultra, ultra humble, you know. You know, <laughs> you know if you're spiritual, spiritually mature or not. But for those who are spiritually mature, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. We all play a part. You are the anointed. And you play a part and you have an intricate Roll. Take that finger again and point it right back, right here. And just go ahead and, and say this. I am crucially important. Yeah. I, I don't even need to preach about this. You get it, right? I mean, you heard that, right? Uh, oh, no. <laughs> There was a moment in a time when, uh, yeah, maybe I'm crucially important. No. I am crucially important. You are absolutely, immutably important to God, to this body, to this work, and to the kingdom. 
If you didn't know that, know it now. It's true. All right. You ready? Let's go back to 1 Samuel. Oh, Jesus. Let your will be done. Let your will be done. 1 Samuel chapter 20. Our opening scripture was verse 24. I'll read it one more time. So David hid himself in the field and when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. The king sat on his seat, as at other times, on the seat by the wall. Jonathan sat opposite. Abner sat by Saul's side. But David's place was empty. A lot has transpired already. Saul is the anointed king of Israel. But somehow David has also been anointed to become the king of Israel. I, I, I don't get it. I haven't. I pondered a great amount. I, I don't have quite the answer. I don't know why it took 40 years, but I do know there was some really uncomfortable times for David during this span of time. Saul, by this point, there's a place at Saul's table for David, but David's not there. By this point, Saul has already tried to kill David three times. Twice while David was in his court playing music for Saul to soothe Saul's spirit. Once Saul goes ahead and he, he contrives a plan even involving the scheming that was behind it. He gives his daughter to David so that he can use his daughter against David to set a trap for David. Lays in wait, try to kill his son-in-law. So it's not surprising that David's not at the table. But here's the first point. When the Spirit leaves a man, there's an emptiness. And God's Spirit must come in and fill it. You think of that home. In Matthew, it was a place of abode. And we're going to look at the table. And so you and I, we have a table in our lives. And my question is, what does it look like? Saul had a table. We're going to look at a couple of tables. Saul had a table, and David was supposed to be at it. But there was a problem with Saul, and we see it early on in Scripture. Saul was never able to determine appropriately what must live and what must die. It was very early on in his kingship when there was some men that were worthless and, and they, they, they despise, Scripture says they despise Saul. Who is Saul that he should be king over us? And so they brought no gifts. <laughs> and then the children of Ammon come against the children of Israel. And Saul musters up some, some mighty men and he goes and he delivers the children of Israel. And so then everyone's excited except for these worthless men. And you read the scripture. The mighty men said, wait a second. There's something to this man. Who was it that said he was worthless? Who was it that has no use for this man? Bring them forth now and let us eliminate them. Let us eliminate the spirit. And Saul said, no. 
leave them be. It sounds like a good thing. But the problem is, when we look at Saul's life, the pattern continues. God blessed Saul with David. Saul needed his table to be balanced with the spirit of David. When David wasn't there, when Saul didn't appreciate what David brought to his table, he leaned on Abner. As soon as Saul's table became unbalanced, he leaned only on Abner. Abner represents the flesh. David represents what? The heart of God, the spirit. We need to have a balanced table in our lives. And that's why some things need to be removed and godly things need to come in. That's why some things, we need to be able to determine what things must die in our lives. And we need to determine, be able to determine what must live. And I'll tell you, the things that must live are worth fighting for. Oh, an active, healthy move and flow of God's spirit and an outpouring of his spirit is worth fighting for. It's worth keeping in an apostolic church. Prayer is worth fighting for and keeping in an apostolic church. Hmm. When Saul's table turned and became unbalanced, it didn't stop with David. Can you imagine? Think of it. Saul then turned and tried to kill his own son. More than once. And when Saul couldn't write his table, the only man he had speaking in his life was Abner. Now, in some strange way, Abner's necessary because we don't see this pattern end with Saul because patterns... Hmm, When we allow things in our lives, it sets a pattern and a tone for the next generation. So when we allow things in the body of Christ, it sets patterns and a tone for the next generation. And so God's going to do what God wants to do and heal the body and reach in and tweak some things and change some things. And that'll have to happen because some things must live and some things must die. Saul could never determine that. Hmm. Saul keeps Abner oh so close. Let me just pause and ask again, your table, what does it look like? Is it balanced? God, through his word and spirit, will balance your life. What God wants to do is take the crooked and make it straight. What, what God will do is take what's part and make it whole. What God will do will take the broken and he'll heal it, make it whole. The, this is what God does when God fills the heart of a man. 
This is what God continues to do through sanctification as man continues to fill his heart with God, with his word. Amen. Let's look at David for a second. Let's step away from Saul. David, the greatest king of Israel, an anointed king, an anointed prophet, the anointed psalmist, the anointed author, the anointed warrior, the anointed tabernacle builder, the anointed kingdom builder, a man even after God's own heart, the benchmark for all other kings. That's what David is. And perhaps the most admired man. Think of it. Perhaps also the most critiqued man. I love David. And before I go any further, I love David. I remember it so clearly as a, a young middle-aged man. God snatching up my attention again and saying, okay, I'm done waiting for you, Rob. It's time. I want all of you. All that you have left, I want all of you. And I remember sitting there at my table, and I'm reading. I'm reading the Word of God. I'm actually systematically reading. Been in the church for who knows how long, and yet God's snatching up my attention. And, and I'm reading about the life of David, and, and it's coming to the end of, of the life of David in the Scripture, and at the same time, I'm, I'm reading in the Gospels, and, 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 and Jesus is approaching Calvary, and it hits me all at one moment in time. I'm about to lose my King David, and I'm about to lose my King of kings and Lord of lords, who's sacrificing himself for my sake. I remember it so strongly and vividly. I love David. David is the man. But every great man, and I would say every great mentor, has to have the ability to expose himself and allow himself to be critiqued. It's true. David, a man after God's own heart, Hmm. accomplished so many great things. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Kings chapter 15. First Kings chapter 15, starting with Verse 4, nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord, his God, gave him a lamp in Jerusalem, setting up his son after him and establishing Jerusalem. This is talking of a future king. This is after Solomon. And yet because of what David did, oh, what David did right, it set the tone for generations to come. He became the benchmark that over and over and over again the kings were marked by. And over and over again in Scripture we see that he, whether the king did or did not do as David did in his heart. Verse 5, because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life except the matter of 
Uriah the Hittite. So this perfect example of the king, a king that's even mentioned in the very closing moments of Scripture, when Scripture says, Jesus is the root and the offspring of David. And yet this man hmm, had a matter of Uriah the Hittite. The problem is, there's something else in Scripture that jumps out at us. It wasn't David's only big mistake. Later on, after Uriah, David makes the mistake of determining in his heart for some reason to number Israel, to take a census. Matter of fact, it will be worth it for us to turn there. But I don't have it in my notes, so I apologize. Yes, First Chronicles chapter 21. We have to see this. First Chronicles chap chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. I, and this is worth waiting for the beautiful pages to stop rustling. We're talking about the table. David has a table. Saul had a table. You have a table. Then Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. That's a pretty bold statement. That Satan himself incited David. And I'm just going to let the cat a little bit out of the bag. Satan could do that because of who was not at David's table. Oh, Jesus. Give us an ear to hear and a heart to receive. Verse 2, so David said to Joab, remember what happened to Saul, Saul's only voice he listened to at his table because it was unbalanced, because people were missing from his table. Saul only listened to Abner. Joab is David's Abner. Abner was the captain of the army for Saul. Joab becomes the captain of David's army. Both captains of Israel during different times. Necessary, but the problem here is, so, jo so David said to Joab, and the commanders of his army, go number Israel from Beersheba to Dan and bring me a report that I may know their number. But it was Joab who said, may the Lord add to his people a hundred times as many as they are. Are they not my Lord, the king, all of them my Lord's servants? Why then should my Lord require this? But David did not listen or hearken to Joab. And I'll just tell you for the sake of time, the reason why is that wasn't Joab's voice to be heard. Hmm. So who did David have at his table? Well, Saul, the past and the present, had Jonathan, the future, across from him. Then I would say David would have David, 
the past and the present, and Solomon across from him. If Abner was to Saul's left, Joab would represent David's left. Who was supposed to be at the right? David the anointed psalmist. He wrote five times in the Psalms of the integrity of his heart. Six times it's recorded. The sixth time, though, it was someone else writing of David when the scripture tells us that it was with the integrity of his heart and the skills of his hands that David fed God's people. The five times before that was early in the Psalms. And so when David would speak of the integrity of David's heart, It was in the context of, judge me according to my integrity. I'll point out, judge me, Lord. Another time it was, preserve me by my integrity. So the integrity judges the man. It preserves the man. A third time it was, I walk in my integrity, O Lord. It's God leading through the integrity of David's heart. And the fourth time, Thou upholdest me in my integrity. Hmm. And the fifth time mirrored one of the other four. So what David was saying through his integrity, judge me by my integrity, preserve me by my integrity. I walk in my integrity. Thou upholdest me, O Lord, in mine integrity. But for that matter of Uriah. But for that matter of Uriah. If you'll turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 23. What did the integrity look like? 2 Samuel 23 and verse 13. Here's what it looks like. And three of the 30 chief men went down. This is talking of David's mighty men. Three of the 30 chief men went down and came about the harvest time to David in the cave of Adullam when a band of Philistines was encamped at the valley of Rathom. David was then in in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. This is while Saul is still alive, and David is hiding out from Saul, spending time even with the Philistines or in caves. And David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. you got to realize, David spent time there. That's where he would take the sheep. And he would feed his father's flock at this well. And David's in a place and a moment and a time when everything is not going well. It seems as if from the natural eye that everything is wrong and turned upside down. I've been anointed to be king and yet I'm running for my life. Somehow amidst all this, men are coming on to me and now I'm responsible for them. But God, what is going on? 
I'm hiding out in a cave. Where are you, God? Where is the anointing? Where is the promise? David is feeling all these things, and so he longs for simpler times. Oh, he longs for better times. And the words come out of his mouth. Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. And then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines. Three of his mighty men hear it. They break through. They sacrifice their lives for a drink of water for David. They drew the water out of the well at Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried and brought it to David. And, 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 but for the sake of time, just think of what this really looked like. Think of yourself as one of those mighty men. Three of you, you grab three brothers or three sisters and you're going to stand in the gap and you're going to war for a simple request of your leader. You don't know if you're going to make it, if you're going to come through alive, but for some reason, something inside of you compels you and says, the cause is great enough. And you feel compelled that you must stand and you must war for a simple request. Oh, Jesus. And so you do it. On the way back, I can only imagine you're down to two who can fight because one of you has to not spill the water. And you war and you make your way back. Ah, oh, David. Here's your water. And this is so encouraging to me, and I don't have time to waste this, but it's encouraging to me because sometimes I feel like a duck out of water. Sometimes I speak in ways that just seem like they're not getting across. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Can you imagine their look of wonder as David takes the water and in a perfect heart of humility and integrity, he pours the water out because he's not worthy of the sacrifice that his men made. That's what the integrity of the heart looked like. But there's a problem. The, 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 four, the five times that David wrote of his integrity, it was all before Psalms 51. And if you know the scripture, Psalms 51 is when David repented of what he did in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Not one time after that does David ever rely on his integrity. Because David was not the most integral, integral <laughs> if I make up a word, man in the Bible. He had a man at his table named Uriah. The Hittite. Uriah represents the right hand of David and David's integrity. And so when David, it's worse than what you realize unless you really dig into the scripture. Not only did, let's just be honest, 
not only did David rape the woman, not only did he then commit murder to cover it up, it went even deeper than that. It touched more lives than just those few. Bathsheba's father even. Uriah was one of David's mighty men, perhaps one of the men of those three, if not close enough to hear it and know David's heart. He was intimate with David. David's mighty men were intimate with him. David knew their families. You go back and read the scripture when the time of the kings was to go to war and David stayed at home. David goes up to his housetop and David looks out and he sees Bathsheba and he inquires of someone, I don't know who, but of someone who is that. And I'm just, I'll leave that to ponder. The response was, that is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam. Eliam was one of David's mighty men. So not only did David rape the wife of one of his mighty men and then conspire to kill him and ultimately kill him, he also was stabbing other mighty men in the back. And this is the man of integrity? I love David. Everyone just breathe. I love David. Oh, I love David. Because the point is you have a table. And who and what is at your table and who and what table you are at matters tremendously. Not one time in scripture does David rely on his integrity after he's, oh, brought Uriah back from the battle, tries and gets Uriah to sleep with Bathsheba to cover up his sin takes the very letter of death and puts it in Uriah's hand to deliver to who? Joab! And Joab conspires because it's what Joab does. It's what Abner does. They represent the flesh, the carnal man. And the carnal man, oh hear me, will only ever be about self-preservation. And so no matter, let me pause right here. Self-preservation will kill you spiritually. Self-preservation will keep you from being born again of water and the spirit. This is all a place of faith. We must hear the word and believe the word in faith. But self will say, no, I don't want to die. I want to hang on to some things. I don't want to sacrifice And yet God's saying, oh, give it up. I've got something better for you. The spiritual man is saying, this is where true power, dominion, and authority is. Self-control, it's in the spirit of God. Mm. So here we go as I wrap this up. David was able to make a second big mistake in taking that census because his integrity was gone. His integrity was gone from his table. Abner was gone, and Abner represented his integrity. 
integrity. It's firm adherence to a code of especially moral or artistic values. It's basically when there's integrity, there's incorruptibility. David was corruptible. Why could, why could Satan come against him? David became corruptible when his integrity was gone. Integrity. An unimpaired condition of soundness. There was times when Saul was a lunatic because his table was not balanced. There, there were times when David went crazy too. Uh, I don't think I can make that correlation though. <laughs> but for you and for me, your table needs to be balanced. And hear me, each and every one of you balances this table. This table needs you. David needed Uriah to balance him. And the truth is, whether, whether, whether Uriah knew it or not, makes no difference. Uriah was a man of integrity. He represented integrity. And even if he knew, wrap your mind around this, even if he knew David's intention, he would have still sacrificed himself. Oh, Jesus. I've got the scripture written, and I don't know which one it is. Because I'm so far away from following the notes, but it's all here. So bear with me for a second. Is this all right? We'll try Second Samuel chapter... No, it can't be that. Mm-mm-mm. Oh, there was, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Second Samuel chapter, yes, chapter 11. So, so this is the story. I, I've laid it out a little bit. This is, this is the happening. This is, this is the, the matter of Uriah. I'm just going to point out Uriah's heart. All right? So we'll start in, in, for the sake of time, we'll start in verse 9. David tried to get Uriah to go sleep with Bathsheba to cover sin. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. When they told David Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house and now hear this because you're seeing the true heart of integrity right here. Uriah said to David, the ark, God, but for the spirit of God, but for God first and foremost. Uriah understands. He knows his place and his role. 
He didn't say for you, David. You know who you are. You got to hear this. It's not for David. It's for God. You're needed for the kingdom. Started with God for the ark and for Israel. Uh, For God and for the kingdom. For God and for the kingdom, a mighty man of valor, a mighty man of integrity, representing the right hand of David and his integrity. David needed Uriah to be the man he was supposed to be. And God needs you. I need you. Your brothers and your sisters, we all need each other to be fitly joined together in the role and the plan, the purpose where God wants us as the body of Christ. Ah, amen. Amen. Because it's voices like that at the table, Brother Kylie speaking of the body of Christ, fitly joined together, and it's voices like that that speak into our lives, and it defines us, it equal, it it balances us, it makes us realize you spoke, and it was so true. Fitly joined together, it don't always feel good. You're bumping into each other, you're chipping off that rough edge and this rough edge, but God's smoothing you out to fit in there perfectly. Sorry, that was his. And I'm out of time. Ah, integrity. It was for the ark and Israel and Judah. They all dwell in booths and my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord. You catching this? Because I'm seeing a bigger picture, David. It's not for you. It's for God for his kingdom it's for my brothers and my sisters it's for God's anointed and so in closing we won't find a more accurate portrayal of integrity than that of Uriah the Hittite Uriah represents David's integrity and David mentions, mentions his integrity only preceding Psalms 51. We just read of Uriah's heart in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse 11. And I'll ask you this morning, so your table, what does it look like? What does your place at the table look like? Is it balanced? Romans chapter 11 and verse 29. It says that the gift and the calling of God, the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. And so this is where I make a plea to every one of us. If we could have a musician come and start playing. If you're a saint, your role is so important. If you're a soul winner, win souls. God's gift and calling does not change. It's immutable. It's unchangeable. In this body, if you're a soul winner, then win souls. If your place and your portion at the table in the body of Christ is to bring integrity, then Uriah, in the spirit of Uriah, bring integrity. Stand in the gap and war. It's worth it. God knows it's his kingdom. For such a time as this, he's placed you there. 
If you're an intercessor or a prayer, now's the time to pray. Pray like you've never prayed before. Oh, if you're the woman who only knows how to love and has the badge that says hugger, then stand at the door and hug and hug some more. It don't matter what it looks like. It don't matter what you feel. God's placed you for right here, right now, for this time to be a part of this body. And just like Uriah needed to balance the body and balance David's table, you are part of it. You know your gifting. You know your calling. Now's the time to stand up and operate in it with everything you have. You don't got to wait for David to look right. You don't got to wait for his heart to look right. You just need to balance the body. And if this is all new and crazy to you, ah, you have a table. Oh, and God is oh so good. And there may be some things God's wanting to root out. Let God root out. Because God wants to fill you with life and that more abundantly. Will you stand with me? Here's what we're going to do for altar call. We're going to be specific. I'm going to ask you to participate huh, in the spiritual. And if that makes you uncomfortable, that's all right. It makes me uncomfortable. And I'm up here. <laughs> we need to be more comfortable. We need, to, we need to exercise these gifts. So what I'm going to ask you specifically, as God's anointed, I want you to find someone like you. If you're a mighty man of valor, find a mighty man of valor. I already knew this was coming, so I get Steve, Brother Kylie, just because it's on my heart. That's where I'm starting. And I know why, because God's in charge. I'm going to ask you to find someone. If you're a soul winner, find a soul winner. And I, I want you to pray for one another. Encourage one another. Oh, come on, dig. You can do this. If you're a prayer warrior, find another prayer warrior. Encourage one another. Your gift and your calling, it levels this table. And I want to come together and actually for a moment, hmm, touch some unity. This is what it looks like right here, right now. If you're a Sunday school teacher, find another Sunday school teacher and pray a word of encouragement. If you're a young person with a calling on your life, find another young person with a calling on your life. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.